Spotify. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist Podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Librocube! My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Librocubicularist. Yeah, that's who I am, as if you didn't know. Something I like to say at the top of every show is that there will be spoilers, folks, please. This is a spoiler warning. Its purpose is to warn you of spoilers, hence its name. So, that is complete. I will move on to my next thing that I like to say at the top of every show, which is... If you like what you hear, the only opinion I ask is a million dollars. That is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as that is what helps podcasts grow bigger. Suppose you can grow smaller, but no, that would help it grow bigger, which is what we aim to do. Of course, I'm using the podcast we, which is much like the royal we. Mm. That will, of course, take us into our last piece of podcast-related business before we get into this book for Wednesday, and that is today's sponsor, which is the Bill O'Reilly Cardboard Canoe Paddle. Once again, today's sponsor is the Bill O'Reilly Cardboard Canoe Paddle. Thank you to him, I suppose. I have to thank him. He's the sponsor. Take that as well. Uh, Doing my seems-to-be-winter-themed thing of uh, recording the podcast opening, and then when I drive into work on Monday, I'll uh, record the actual episode. So that's a little behind-the-scenes action, despite the fact that it is Book Wednesday within the Liberal Cube. It is actually Friday, and I'm driving home for the weekend, no less. Uh, You know what? I didn't plan on doing this, but I suppose since I have the time, since this is just the opening, and I'm not actually going to talk of this book, uh, something we can do, which is something I like to do on a Friday drive home, is a little something called the Friday Drive Home Primal Scream. If you are unfamiliar with this phenomenon, which you may very well be, because it doesn't often happen on a book Wednesday, that's crazy talk. But it is a crazy phenom, Manon, so uh, why not do it now? What it is, is I'm going to yell extremely loud. I will give a count of three and let loose. So, what you're going to want to do is turn down your gramophones, because, of course, I assume you are listening on a gramophone, and then I uh, will let loose with the Friday Drive Home Primal Scream on a book Wednesday, because it's crazy. Crazy. Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> that felt good, and I was aware that it would. Folks, going to push this transition button. And then we're going to transition into the book Wednesday. Uh, here we go. I'll give another countdown, because why not? One, two, three, transition away. Transition. Book 
The Wednesday continues, or starts, depending on how you look at it, by me saying the title of the book, which is Paddle Your Own Canoe, colon, not colon canoe, canoe colon, One Man's Fundamentals for Delicious Living. Let me say that again, because the whole colon thing screwed me up a bit. Maybe I will admit actually saying a colon, and just sort of indicate that there is a colon with a brief pause. Paddle your own canoe. One man's fundamental... Oh, God. Fundamentals for delicious living. The fact that I cannot even say the title of this book is not a good sign of things to come. Oh, boy. This is by Mr. Nick Offerman, who... You may know from a wide variety of things, however, probably, I think, most obviously well-known for his role as Mr. Ron Swanson on the television program Parks and Recreation, a television program which is one of only a very, very select few that I actually factually watch as they air, rather than wait for them to um, not film anymore and then get on DVD. It's sort of uh, Parks and Rec, Modern Family, Doctor Who and some, like, late-night things. That's, uh, that's basically it. Yeah. Wow. This is an interesting book in that it's sort of part uh, biography, part advice book. Yeah, yeah, it's not just one or the other. It sort of jumps back and forth uh, almost chapter to chapter is kind of how you could look at it. One chapter on how he grew up into how he from all the way from how he grew up until all the way till him getting married to Megan Mullally, to getting his job at Parks and Rec, to um, the day he started writing this book, basically. And then interspersed with that is advice on things that have sort of, A, helped him to do and get where he has gotten, as well as just some ideas to make your life easier and, at least from his point of view, better. Because this book is sort of two almost totally separate entities in that regards, I think I could potentially, and I'm going to, give it two separate ratings. So uh, the advice sections, I'm going to kind of go kind of low because I didn't find a lot of his advice good. <laughs> we have a lot, I was kind of surprised because I've heard him in interviews, and I know he's a super, super funny dude, and uh, seems very, very smart, but a lot of his opinions and advice that he gives in this, I would not recommend to people, so I don't think it was necessarily something for everybody. Maybe I'll get into that. So for the advice sections, I'd probably go like two out of five, which is pretty low, I know. And then the uh, biography sections... Again, uh, he's not an old man yet, so writing a biography before you're old has got to be difficult for the reason that uh, you haven't lived your life yet in full. Someone who writes a biography or someone who writes their own autobiography when they are old has that entire life to choose from, where someone Nick Offerman's age uh, kind of has to pick and choose from childhood and college and uh, a little bit of adulthood, so it's got to make it harder. Maybe that's why he decided to have all these uh, advice sections as well, to sort of beef up the biography a little bit. Anyways, uh, yeah, it was an interesting biography. I think this book... Okay, let me continue my convoluted rating. 
of uh, this book, if you are looking to get into show business, I think you're going to give super, super high marks, maybe like five out of fives, because that seems to be kind of who it is at, is at, who it is aimed at more so than your sort of average Joe Blow like myself. One thing I kind of, I guess, disappointed in, and maybe the fault is a little bit of my own in that I went in with high expectations, is I thought there was going to be lots and lots of laughs. I thought this was going to be comedy sort of throughout. Uh, there was laughs. I did even out loud laugh, which uh, is not easy to do, I think, in a book quite often. So there is laughs. It's just I don't think the Ron Swanson persona that has generated so many laughs in my belly necessarily is going to transfer over to the page in the form of Nick Offerman, who is not, in fact, Ron Swanson. <laughs> yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. Overall, very well written, though. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is that Nick Ackerman... Ackerman. <laughs> Scott Ackerman's brother. Nick Offerman has a very, very good vocabulary, and he's got a sort of poetic way in which he has written this. It sort of flows and ebbs and... Uh, a lot of his just sentences are, are beautiful. Like, you could put them up on a wall and it would make sense. So, I enjoyed that. Uh, for the advice sections of this book, sometimes it was hard to tell when he was giving actual factual advice for, as he says, delicious living, or joking around, pretending and being sort of sarcastic with his advice or doing it for the purposes of laughs. Because advice that generates laughs is quite often, in fact, very often, not advice that you would actually, factually, most likely follow. So, uh, sometimes I had difficulty distinguishing the two. Uh, I hope it's one of the reasons I think I'm kind of giving this low marks. And this is probably, I don't know, not good on my part. I don't know if I'd say close-minded, but maybe, is that some of his views on religion are not my own. So reading them kind of probably put me in a frame of mind where I, I don't like what he's saying, so I'm going to give him left marks. Less, less marks as far as a rating out of five. And I think that's just human nature that I did that. I could go into it. It's like if I were to read friggin' Mein Kampf. Yeah, let's say. Now, would I, or would a human being be able to read that and mark it not on what is within it, but how it is written? I think it's very, very difficult to do. <laughs> I can't believe I just compared this book to Mein Kampf. Uh, <laughs> uh, on the bright side that not many people listen to this podcast in a sort of global sense, the odds that Mr. Nick Offman will ever hear me say that are both a fat chance and a slim chance, so I don't feel too, too bad. Uh, end the podcast with it's nice to be nice to the nice, and he is a super, super nice dude from all sort of reports, so uh, I wouldn't want him to hear me say that. It's just that his religious ideas are, to me not making of sense in a lot of cases. Now, I should also preface that by saying he is an atheist. Uh, does he come right out and say it? No, I think he uses the agnostic, which is like a wishy-washy version of a atheist, which I think is, was kind of my problem. He is like how I used to be in that uh, his views on religion kind of follow the lines of, 
Uh, I don't care what your religion is as long as it doesn't, as long as you don't try to preach it to me, as long as it doesn't affect my day-to-day -day life, that sort of idea. And I used to be like that, but the, uh, the older I get, the more information that is put into my brain over these years, the more I feel that I think it will be more beneficial for humans as a species if we take a more cut and dry approach to religion in the sense of saying, okay, religion is ridiculous, let's not do it anymore, period. Let's remove religion from the face of the earth. It is no longer allowed. That's sort of my stance and feeling that if we were to do that, human beings, again, as a species, as a whole, would sort of propel into visions of the future, both idyllic and um, beautifully futuristic, let's say. Get out of the dark ages, if you will, where he's got sort of a more, I guess you could say, lackadaisical, huh? Lackadaisical thought to it. I have to turn up my uh, heater momentarily because I cannot see the road. Some more of the sort of nitpicks I would have with Mr. Offerman are some of his views on technology and how he seems a little anti-technology and quite often surprising uh, anti-television, <laughs> which for someone being on television does not make sense. Now, he's, he's anti-television as far as mindless, stupid reality show escapes, which uh, I suppose I am as well. But uh, to be on TV and take an anti-television stance, regardless of what is on the television, seems, uh, seems odd and I didn't think was a good idea. Especially now, because I think uh, television now is unlike television has ever been. Just the quality of programs that are out, that are, that are out there, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, which I haven't seen yet, but uh, understand is very good. Dexter, that was good. Just the high, high levels of production, movie quality in their everythings that uh, we haven't experienced before. So to be at all anti-television smacks of, I don't know, falseness a little bit. A little uh, little hippie-like. Some of his stances come out to be like, I, I think, over the, course of the, over the course of reading the book, I think that's a takeaway you might have, is that Nick Offerman is a bit of a hippie. Now, in some regards, with regards to his eating of meat, <laughs> not at all. With regards to his... Uh, woodworking and being a manly, manly man. No. Can you be a hippie and a manly man? I think it's a, that's a, a difficult combination to pull off. And maybe that's just what he's done. He's the very first manly hippie. Wow. Something that uh, is abundant throughout, but there's, I think, one or two chapters in particular where uh, Nick Offerman talks of his wife, Megan Mullally, who, if you, if you do not know, who she is. If you Google and get a look at her face, I am sure you will. I, I didn't watch the show uh, Will and Grace, but uh, she was on that. She's on Children's Hospital, which I did watch. She's on uh, Party Down, another great show. Super, super funny lady. And uh, every occurrence of her I have seen in any acting role, I have thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, what I was saying is that Nick Offerman's love for this lady it's just like oozing out of every page. And it, uh, it kind of gives you one of those warm, fuzzy glows that uh, they've been together for, I forget how long, but quite a while. And it's like they're newlyweds. 
And I've seen him in interviews speak of her, and he just sort of glows with talking of her. It's uh, it's uh, nice to behold. It kind of reminds me of me and the missus, actually, in that regard. In that, somehow, some way, and I don't even know how this is possible, probably, I think, safe to say that I love her even more than, um, than previous. It's just as if our love is growing. What? Growing love? You're supposed to get married and then your love declines from that point on. What are we doing? We got married and love is growing. Crazy talk. Haven't really got too much into his biography. Uh, grew up in a very, very small town in sort of middle America. Uh, has that sort of uh, farm boy makes good feel to it, which I like. Sort of a bit of an underdog story in the sense that someone from a a farming community going to Hollywood and actually factually becoming an actor and doing well, that is basically unheard of. So uh, so I like that. Uh, some of my other favorite parts of this were the, uh, the woodworking parts where he got a little in-depth into that. He has his own woodworking shop, and the quality of his products is something he really, really takes pride in, and uh, you can sense that. Like his love for Megan Mullally, his love for sort of working with his hands and working towards this finished product and then having, say, a canoe paddle in your hands and being able to feel its weight and know that you made this thing that is going to be used, that sort of idea. It was, uh, it was impressive. Uh, he used to work in a, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, basically a hardware store. Kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. More specialized in different fasteners and things. Anyways, something I enjoyed of that is that people would come in with problems like, Oh, I'm trying to do this. Uh, any suggestions on how I could bolt this to my deck so it doesn't blow away in such a man manner? Or, you know, any anything like that. And uh, something I always enjoyed was that feeling of, okay, this is what you do, and then telling them maybe one or two ideas on how they could go about their problem, and then they'll pick one, and then you sell them the stuff, and then occasionally, when you, if you get lucky, they come back and say, yeah, yeah, that, uh, that worked really good, thank you. And uh, that's probably not as good as the feeling of building something with your own bare hands, but uh, it's that similar vibe of helping in the creation of things process. Sort of manliness. Although, uh, I think he points out as well that this could be womanliness as well. He doesn't get, uh, I don't think at all really, and maybe I wasn't, I wasn't reading this from a woman's perspective obviously, but uh, I never felt like things he said were at all misogynistic or, or, or any of that sort of vibe. In fact, quite often he'd make a point to say, and women, or, or include women in his examples of uh, being tough, like his sisters sound like, like some tough broads who, uh, growing up on the farm, you wouldn't want to mess with, that kind of idea. <laughs> Spoke a bit of his mustache, which I liked. I have probably, I think I'd go so far to say as a slightly bushier and bigger mustache than Ron Ron Burgundy. Well, yeah, as bigger than Ron Burgundy, as well as Ron Swanson. So, I'd like a good uh, mustache appreciation. <laughs> that reminds me, uh, the other day in the town that we live in, there opened up a restaurant, uh, Popeye's. It's like a chain. I think they're big in the States. And uh, we wanted to try it out. So the missus and I went, and uh, the guy working the counter had a really sort of beautiful mustache. So I was saying to the missus, yeah, 
to the Brotherhood of the Mustache, and he was, like, treating us really nice. And I gave us an extra piece of chicken. As we were leaving, I sort of touched my mustache and pointed at him and nodded. <laughs> he didn't do... He gave me kind of a weird look there. So maybe he wasn't uh, a card a card-carrying member of the Mustache Brotherhood. But still. Yeah, but still. Uh, let me rapid-fire read off my last notes, and then that'll be sort of a tease for you to potentially go read this book. Uh, outdoor love, Chicago to LA, showbiz tips, make gifts and cards, drunk and drug stories, and uh, that's pretty much it. Hey, we're gonna, because I'm close to work, wrap it up and count that as a win, saying that, uh, yes, we did technically talk about this book. There's no goddamn denying it. It's a book Wednesday, y'all. That will, of course, leave one final thing to say, which is, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Nah, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Come the day you're mine Live long and prosper